Thank you for listening to the Central Reformed Church Sermon Podcast. This episode's sermon is titled, God Welcomes Us Home, and is based on Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3a, and verses 11 through 24. It was delivered on Sunday, May 15th, 2022, by Pastor Stephen D. Pierce. I invite you to turn now to um, the New Testament, Luke chapter 15. We are looking at the parable of the prodigal and his brother. We'll be reading the first half of the story. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and, and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property and dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The word of the Lord. In their book, If Grace is True, Philip Gully and James Mulholland tell a compelling story about a woman whose life experiences made it difficult for her to believe in a loving God. See if you can find yourself anywhere in this story. Sally was likely dead before she 
hit the floor. One minute she was laughing with co-workers. The next minute she laid crumpled at their feet. They called the paramedics who rushed her 40 miles to the nearest hospital so that they could keep her heart beating for another 12 hours. Where doctors worked on her and talked to the family, it was long enough for the son to call the church, ask the pastor to come, time enough for the family to gather, to grieve, to ask why. The doctor called it a stroke, the pastor called it a mystery, Neither answer brought much comfort. Whatever the explanation, Sally was likely dead before she hit the floor. The pastor met with various family members to learn more about Sally and what he discovered shocked him. He found out that her life had been as cruel as her death. It turns out that Sally's father deserted her when she was only three. Her mother filled the void with a parade of temporary replacements, none of whom wanted Sally underfoot. She was discarded. She was passed from aunt to cousin to grandmother and back again, staying only as long as their patience allowed. Shuffled from school to school, from town to town, she made only acquaintances, never a friend. Longing for a stability she'd never known, Sally married young and poorly. Her husband abandoned her with three small children, no job, no diploma. Her dreams withered away as she struggled to survive. All her life she'd been neglected, now she began to neglect herself. Like dominoes falling Bad jobs were followed by worse ones. Poor husband was followed by abusive boyfriends. Alcohol, drugs sped her descent. When the last domino toppled, Sally was 32 years old, the mother of five, unemployed and living off the leftovers of neighbors and relatives. That domino tumbled the day she slept in with a hangover and she woke to find her youngest daughter drowned in the pool next door. When her son came and through his tears told the pastor the news, the pastor could barely contain his rage. Unaware of Sally's sad past, he saw only a mother who had failed her child and he despised her. In fact, it was with great difficulty that he even preached her daughter's funeral. Before the funeral, Sally told the pastor she had been abandoned by God. But the pastor did everything he could to assure her that God had not abandoned her or forsaken her. He said all the right things. You know, God loves you. God knows your pain. You're, You're not alone. But she could not hear that. After the funeral, Sally stood by her daughter's casket clutching a wad of tissue and crying, there's, there's no reason to live. There's no reason at all. But she was wrong. She had plenty of reasons to live. In fact, the last five years of her life were her happiest. 
That's what everyone said at the funeral. That's what her children said. That's what her friends said. Sally's last five years were her best. How? Well, the, the pastor learned that in the days after her daughter's death, Sally repented. Now, we hear that word and we automatically think of uh, walking down the sawdust trail and saying the Jesus prayer. Actually, what happened with her is she didn't get on her knees. She didn't affirm a set of spiritual laws or even accept a Lord or a Savior. She repented and by virtue of implication, she turned. The pastor learned that she turned from the thoughts of suicide. She turned from, from a crippling self-pity. She turned from despair, she turned. She moved to a small town. She got a job. And then she got a better job. Then she bought a car. Then she bought a house. She planted some flowers. She even planted a tree. She made friends, not acquaintances. She made peace with her family. Life wasn't perfect. But Sally turned from despair. A month before her death, she told her son of a new and surprising desire. The day before Sally's funeral, her son revealed this to the pastor. It was the memory that comforted him the most. His mother had simply confided, I think I'm going to start looking for a church. She died searching. In a clear response to many people's prayers, Sally had been drawing close to God. She turned from the path of destruction. She'd been asking, she'd been seeking, she had been knocking. And in many ways, Sally had spent most of her life climbing out of the pit of hell. And then the pastor realized that God loved Sally far more than he ever could or ever did. God had been there when she cried herself to sleep as a little girl, when she was abused, when she was rejected by those around her, when her efforts to find happiness led only to more misery, when in her moment of greatest despair, by God's grace, she determined to keep trying. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis in, in one of his books where he said, Our slightest openness to God is just enough for God to work in our lives and do amazing things, amazing miracles. And so love as the touchstone of God's nature and activity stands at the core of this story and at the core of our faith, doesn't it? Love. Unconditional love. God has embraced us in such love through Christ. And as a result, we find ourselves compelled to love others. After all, he said, they'll know that you're my disciples when you aren't gossiping, when you aren't slandering, when you aren't accusing people of things and you're doing this and you're pointing the finger and blaming everyone. Don't, actually, they'll know that you're my followers when, when you love when it's real, it's not fake, but you love. 
It is love that motivates God to make all things new, to restore all things, to right the wrong. Not but a few weeks ago when our our small group uh, had visited Israel, Palestine, we found ourselves at Herodium. And we were there to uh, think about this mountain fortress built by King Herod just south of Bethlehem. And and before we had a teaching, uh, our, our teacher, Bart Denbor, asked us to read Revelation 21. And that's what we did. So in the context of such brutality and suffering and evil caused by a man who was pure evil, who was a genius, but also paranoid, we were reminded of the true witness to love and what love really is. And in that passage, which I encourage you to read later, we learn in tenderness, God, God's love wipes away our tears. In power, God's love destroys death. And by God's grace, all people are able to find a place to belong in community because God dwells with mortals. The home of God is among the people. And so pondering such tremendous love, I don't think it prevents us from asking any questions. I don't think it, 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 it takes away from our desire to understand more fully the meaning of life about the physical and spiritual realms. Aristotle wrote in his work, Metaphysics, that all humans by nature have the desire to know. We want to know if God exists. We want to know why we're here. And if God loves, we want to know why God loves and how we can experience more of it. And if we read the Hebrew Scriptures and if we read the Greek New Testament, we see that there is a God who has always been and always will be the God who is looking for us, who is in pursuit of you and me. God whose eyes are fixed on humanity, who will stop at nothing to meet us and welcome us home. God has been trying to connect with us long before we ever even thought about God. And it's a terribly sad thing that too many people, people much like Sally in our story, are experiencing the negative consequences of alienation from God. If only Sally had known that God is the God who welcomes people at the 11th hour. If only she had heard about this scandalous grace that God loves the least of these, the downtrodden, the marginalized, the the people on the outside, the lost, as much as God loves the righteous. If only she had known that God's ways are not our ways, maybe things would have been a little different. The same group, while visiting Israel, Palestine, we stopped at Magdala, the same little fishing village where Mary Magdalene comes from. And there on the Sea of Galilee, facing the water, so we'd be facing east, looking at Sasita on the hillside of the Golan Heights across the water, where in the New Testament it's called Decapolis, we thought about Luke 15. We read it. We studied it. It's really a parable of two lost sons, but also a parable of grace. It reminds us about forgiveness and how we all need it. But it also challenges us not to hoard God's love, to hoard grace from others. Our teacher, Bart Denbor, 
at the end of the talk, looked at all of us and he said, there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you less, thinking of the younger son. And then he said, there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more, thinking of the older son. There's nothing you can do that'll make God love you less. There's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more. We're overwhelmed by this generosity. We're overwhelmed by such love. Think about it. Imagine that worker coming home in our Matthew 20 reading. Imagine him coming home that evening and saying, Honey, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I got a job. And I got a job at the 11th hour. I got a job at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and yet the owner of the vineyard paid me a full day's wage. Can you believe it? That passage is haunting because it reminds us that people have always expressed anger for what seems unfair. And yet God's view of fair is not the same as our human understanding. And that's actually a very good thing for all of us. As forgiven people, we don't deserve, well, we don't get what we deserve. We don't get it. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. We don't get what we deserve. And God is much closer to us than we've ever imagined. One theologian said God is closer to us than our, our own breath. Imagine it. The Apostle Paul knew this. He, he went right into the heart of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who all whom were debating on the floor of this stage in Acts 17 and these were men who had been thinking about and wondering about the meaning of life. Where is God? How do we experience God? And this and that. And he looked at them and he, he used a line from one of their own poets and he said, listen to me. God is not far from each of us for in him we live and move and have our being. This is love. God is with us. And so at Sally's funeral, the pastor spoke on grace. And he read the story from Luke 15, the prodigal son, about the father and the son and the son who wandered off but came back. And the father, because of compassion, ran out and embraced his son. And the pastor said these words, you know, some people think God sits on a throne somewhere holding fast to holiness and justice, waiting for us to grovel at his feet. But last night, as I thought about Sally, I remembered another prodigal's homecoming. I realized God is never content to wait on God's throne. God was standing at the door watching for Sally just as surely as that father watched for his prodigal. And while she was yet a distance, God saw her, God had compassion on her, God ran and God embraced her. God welcomed her home. Such assurance helps us to conquer whatever past we've had that's negative, whatever childhood fears, Whatever chains that hold us down, 
whatever sin causes us to stray, this passage reminds us that God's eyes are locked on humanity, that God welcomes us home. There's nothing you can do that'll make God love you less. There's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more. Believe this gospel. Believe it. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for your word and for your grace. We believe. Now help our unbelief. For we offer this prayer to you in the name of the one crucified and raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, the Messiah and Lord, and all God's people say, Amen. New to Central? Since 1840, we have been connecting people to God and to one another through scripture, sacrament, song, and service. We are located on the corner of College Avenue and Fulton Street in the Heritage Hill neighborhood of Grand Rapids, Michigan. We hope you will give us the opportunity to meet you in person soon. To learn more about our mission, ministries, and ways you can grow and serve, please visit our website, centralreformedchurch.org.